Well, if you have your Bible with you this evening, please turn with me to Psalm 5. Psalm 5. We're beginning a new psalm this evening. And as we do so, we will be considering the first six verses tonight. Psalm 5. Join with me once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful for your word, recognizing it as your perfect and holy truth. O Lord, may that truth, may your very word by your Spirit's work, penetrate our hearts and minds afresh this evening. We pray, Lord, that your truth would sit deeply in our hearts, that we would not soon forget it, and that we would be faithful to walk according to it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Psalm 5, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the holy, the inspired, the inerrant, and the infallible word of God, written for you and for me today. To the chief musician, with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of it to us. Well, beloved in Christ, we know well that David was a man of fervent prayer. He wasn't bashful or ashamed to pray to his God. In fact, in the last two Psalms, Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, we've seen David on the run from Absalom, persecuted by Saul and others with him. And therefore, we've seen David in the midst of great distress. And we've gleaned many good things from the inspired words in these Psalms, haven't we? Not only have we been given a window into David's heart, into his devotion and his struggles, But we've also learned much about our own. We've learned much about our covenant Lord and his care for us. And importantly, we've also been encouraged and comforted to see much of Christ in these Psalms, haven't we? Here in Psalm 5, we find David once again lamenting in the midst of distress. But in his distress, in similar ways as he did in Psalm 4, He also continues to place much trust and much confidence in God. As David was a type of Christ, the presence of ongoing distress and besetting persecution in his life, coupled with his powerful appeals to God, point us to Christ as he too was troubled with persecution from his enemies and yet had perfect confidence in the care, in the will, and the work of his Father. If you recall in John chapter 17, in 
Christ's high priestly prayer, Jesus calls out in prayer to his Father, and his prayer shows us how he depended on his Father and triumphed over the powers of darkness in the midst of his sufferings. Remember the beginning of Jesus' prayer there when he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, Christ said. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Beloved, Christ goes on to say in verse 15 of that chapter, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And here in Psalm 5, we find more fervent prayer from the heart and mouth of David. And as we consider the first six verses this morning, we'll do so under three headings. David's morning prayer in verses 1 through 3. The truth that evil can't dwell with God in verse 4. And how God hates all workers of iniquity in verses 5 through 6. If you look at verse 1, David says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my meditation. And here we find similar words to the opening of David's prayer in Psalm 4, don't we? If you compare the two, you can see that similarity. Even as we consider Psalm 4, verse 1a, where he says, Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. Right? We were greatly encouraged a couple of weeks ago when we considered this passage and considered God truly being our righteousness. Indeed, the Lord's name is the Lord, my righteousness, right? The Lord, our righteousness. See in David's opening words in Psalm 5 that David speaks of two things. First, God hearing his words, and second, God considering his meditation. Now, we're well familiar with what David is referring to regarding the Lord hearing his words. But what does he mean in calling upon God to consider his meditation? The Hebrew word for meditation literally refers to a faint whisper or a kind of muttering or a groaning, really an inaudible speech. This kind of groaning or inaudible speech isn't only referenced here in Scripture by David. If you recall, Paul also speaks of groanings in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. You can turn with me there if you'd like. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. He says, beginning in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Notice verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, note, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. And notice, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now that's a long passage. It's a meaty passage. It's an encouraging and instructive passage, isn't it, regarding much about what we should understand in regards to creation and even our own selves and the work of the Spirit um, regarding such groaning, even under the curse. But notice the threefold groaning in this passage. First, creation groans, or literally laments, he says in verse 22. We groan, or literally we we groan or we sigh within ourselves, verse 23. And the Holy Spirit groans, or literally sighs inwardly, that word means, as he intercedes for us, in verse 26. So the groaning is considering the condition that we are in, beloved, the the curse that we are under, and yet having eyes to see that this isn't final. And that's important. This isn't final. For we see the glorious hope of what is to come as we are in Jesus. And so in Psalm 5, we learn that there are two kinds of prayer. David calls upon God to hear his spoken prayers as well as his inaudible groanings, his meditation, the unspoken longings that remain as silent meditations. Beloved, words aren't the essence, but rather the garments of praise and prayer. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, we find that God addressed Moses, crying out to him when Moses hadn't said a thing, and yet Moses still cried out to him. Remember in Psalm, excuse me, 1 Samuel 1, we're told that God closed up Hannah's womb, and and what happened? She wept bitterly. And picking up in verse 9, we read, so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. 
and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. And so Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Beloved, using words may keep our minds from being distracted. Words may help and assist our souls in stirring our devotion to the Lord. However, David in Psalm 5 uses both kinds of prayer. He calls for God to hear his words and to consider his meditation. In his petition for God to consider his groanings, David beseeched the Lord to discern them. Remember that the Lord doesn't have to hear vocalized words to hear us. The Lord knows our hearts. The Lord knows our thoughts. The Lord knows our desires. And David asked and beseeched him to discern those. And according to his righteousness, according to his will. In our prayers, we pray to the Lord. And if we have asked that which is right, our prayer is that God would give it to us. If we have left out what we need most, we pray that he would fill up that vacancy in our prayer. Consider our meditation. Let the Holy Spirit consider them as presented through our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then weighed in his wisdom and in accordance with his will. But our call and consideration and and plea to the Lord is indeed that he would also consider our meditation like David. Remember David's words in Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Never forget, my friends, that there can be intercession in prayer where there are no words. It is wise for us to be active in both meditation and prayer. Meditation makes the soul fit for prayer. Prayer and meditation are closely related, and meditation is really the best beginning of prayer, and prayer is the best conclusion of meditation. In verse 2, David goes on in Psalm 5 to say this, Give heed to to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. See how in verse 1, David beseeches the Lord to hear his prayer, and here he calls upon him to act, giving testimony to God being his King and his God, the only one that David would pray to. Israel's King addressed God as his king. David had been given authority over Israel and as king was responsible to answer the just desires of his subjects. 
And likewise, David proclaimed himself to be God's humble servant. Not because it came up in David's mind and he thought, oh yeah, that's what I am and that's what I should do. But no, he recognized his position and his relationship with the Lord. He was a humble servant and therefore the only one David would make a petition to and and desire an answer from. David wouldn't petition other kings of the world for help or relief, even as Israel did. We've studied in the Minor Prophets before as Israel ran to other nations seeking to evade the judgment of the Sovereign Lord um, and sought to run to Assyria for aid, for example, or Egypt. Now, David wouldn't do such a thing, but he would only go to the King of Kings for his aid. And when would God hear David's fervent prayers? Well, in verse 3, he says, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Yes, Scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing. There is never a time when we can't or shouldn't pray to our Lord. However, to communicate and to demonstrate his fervency and his dedication to seeking his covenant Lord, David committed to and even told God of his commitment. He committed to do so every morning. David said to God in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Remember in previous Psalms, David talked about and told the Lord of his sustaining grace and how he appreciated his sustaining grace and praised him for it. Because even as he went to sleep, he went to sleep in peace. He knew the Lord was sustaining him. And he praised him even as he was able to awake. But here in Psalm 139, he ends in that fashion. When when I awake, I am still with you. The first thing that David would do each day would be to pray. He wouldn't neglect or delay that work. And that should be a lesson for us. It was at that time every day when David was fresh in his spirit and and free from distractions that he would direct or literally he would arrange and set his prayers in order before the Lord. He would marshal his requests to the throne of God. Like a marksman, David would direct his arrows of petition to him. And importantly, notice that David didn't rush into the presence of God without any forethought, without considering his petitions before he made them. Here's David's posture in prayer. But notice he says, in doing so, and he would look up. Here is David's practice after prayer. His posture in prayer and his practice after prayer. David would then look for the results of his supplications. Not with arrogance, not with pride, not with a boastful expectation as if God was his genie. No, but he would still look 
with awaiting expectation and hope. Holy preparation for prayer, beloved, must be joined with patient and humble expectation and fervent hope. As we consider this, remember the persistence of the widow in Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And God shall not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Consider the unjust judge and his motive. Consider the righteous judge of the universe and what he would do. I tell you, verse 8, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Beloved, we need to persist in prayer. Persistence is an important characteristic of godly prayer. So David directed his petitions knowing what is true about God and therefore the rightly placed hope that he had in him. But notice what he also says in verse 4. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Considering all these things, considering the prayers that I'm lifting up to you in the morning, considering my situation and my distress, considering all of these things that you know to be true about me, O God, I will also proclaim what is true of you and confess such a thing, that you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. My friends, God being perfectly holy, righteous, and just. He takes pleasure in what is good and pure and just, not in that which is contrary to his nature and in violation of his law. But notice as as wickedness is what he doesn't take pleasure in, evil is barred and banned from dwelling with him. Think about it. For evil to dwell, and remember what dwelling is, it's abiding. It's staying. It's sitting. It's being welcomed there. And this would mean, with God, that he would condone it or that it would be safe with him, which is completely opposite of the truth. But what does Scripture teach us? Consider Habakkuk 1.13. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. 
Not only would God not allow evil to dwell with him or to abide with him or to somehow condone it or allow it in and to take up residence around him or even in the vicinity of his presence. No, you are pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look at wickedness. Beloved, God is holy. Praise him for that. This is the message that David is getting at. He recognizes the holiness of God. And he proclaims it. Proverbs seventeen fifteen, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. If God allowed evil to dwell with him, think about it. The flip-flop of Proverbs seventeen fifteen would be acceptable to him. Right? He... He wouldn't condemn the wicked, right? He wouldn't condemn evil if he allowed it to dwell with him. No, what is true about him? Such things are an abomination to the Lord. Strong language. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just are abominations to the Lord. But David goes on in Psalm 5 to reveal that there is good reason as to why God takes no pleasure in wickedness, nor bids evil to dwell with him. And that reason is simply this. He hates sin, and he hates the workers of it. He hates the wicked. Look at verse 5. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. It's this truth, beloved. It's this truth that the world hates. How dare God hate wicked lawbreakers? It's this truth that many, even in the broader church, twist or flat out deny. They want to embrace and promote some of his attributes while rejecting the rest. They want to embrace and promote his love while ignoring or denying his holiness, his righteousness, and his wrath. They embrace his love, claiming that God therefore truly loves everyone. And yes, God created all of his image bearers, but David's words are clear. God hates all workers of iniquity. He hates all wicked lawbreakers. The boastful, the the foolish really is what the Hebrew means there when he refers to the boastful in verse 5. The, the foolish will not stand in the sight of the living God, whether in battle or in judgment before his tribunal. They won't stand in either of those two scenarios. Because God is holy and set apart from all evil, sinful people can't come into his presence without a substitutionary sacrifice. We see this in the types and shadows in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And we see this ultimately fulfilled and evident in the work of Jesus Christ. Nobody can enter into the presence of God without a substitutionary sacrifice. Praise the Lord that that ultimate sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Christ says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What is sin? It's lawlessness. Because God has such righteous hatred against the wicked, beloved, David says in verse 6 of Psalm 5, You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. David was confident that his covenant Lord would stand for his cause and would judge and destroy those who spoke lies about him as well as others. He knew God hates those who seek to harm and to kill his people, especially under the guise of kindness. They're deceitful. They try to run smoke and mirrors. They try to show themselves to be something that they're not and then slip in the dagger when you're not looking. Beloved, we talk much about prayer. And we've learned much about prayer in these early Psalms. But consider and learn from David's fervency in both meditation and prayer, as well as the close connection between the two. And prayerfully seek the Lord's grace in applying such posture and practice in your own life. Maybe you're here tonight and yes, you know about prayer, you're well familiar with it. But maybe meditation is something that you haven't thought of recently or very much. Maybe meditation is not something that is active and present in your life, and I would encourage you to change that. See the importance here. The silent, unsaid, the groanings of the heart, the consideration, consider Paul's words, and the things that we should meditate on. If you wonder and you ask, Pastor, I I get it, but... I'm not sure what I should meditate on. The Lord directs us in his word on those things and tells us the things that are good and pure and right, right, etc. Can you better see the importance of of godly meditation and how meditation is the best beginning of prayer and prayer is the best conclusion of meditation? May you be one who groans daily, and then speaks daily with your Lord like David. Direct your prayers to him, beloved. Contrary to what the world says is true of God's relationship and interaction with wickedness and evil, see and praise him for his holiness afresh tonight. God is holy. He is thrice holy. He is set apart. He is pure. He is good. He is righteous. Do you know the holy God who has a holy hatred for the wicked? Do you know the holy God who has a holy hatred for the wicked? Is this part of your understanding of God and how he looks at such wicked lawbreakers? Do you know him to be the God who not only hates but will also destroy them. 
May David's words reinforce your awe and and full-orb knowledge of the living God. This is the God that, that you need to teach and proclaim to all. God stands for his law. He stands with and for his redeemed. He calls us to take the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ forth with the message of Christ and his work, calling all men everywhere to repent and to turn from the judgment and the wrath of the eternal God that will surely be upon them if they do not. For he stands with and for his redeemed and brings his eternal wrath against the lawless who have not been redeemed and are not of his elect, who have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ. This is the great God. Praise God for his word and These wonderful pieces, not only in the Psalms, but in all of Scripture, as the Lord so graciously and wonderfully reveals himself to us in his attributes, in his character, in his work, in his passion, in in the way that he sees things, and of course sees things rightly. May we all praise him for this. May we all grow in our sanctification as he presses these truths deeply in our hearts. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how awesome and wonderful you are. It is right for us to pray to you, Lord. It is right for us. And we call upon you to consider our meditations and hear our prayers. Oh Lord, help us to be a people who see these, these works of David and these actions and words of David um, to learn from them as an example, but also, um, Lord, we desire to do what is right in your eyes and what you call us to do. Lord, we pray that we would see you for who you truly are and that we would praise you uh, forever from the depths and wholeness of heart for your holiness. You are other. You are set apart. You are a different being than us, holy and pure, righteous and true. Oh, you are awesome. And so, Lord, may we see your holiness, and may we see the stark contrast between you and your holiness and evil. May that inform our prayers. May it inform our worship. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.